Hi, everyone. Welcome to Evil Chat number seven, I think it is. And uh, we've got a really special guest today. Uh, Les Bellman is uh, going to be my guest. And uh, I'll have an intro to him in a second here. But before I do that, I just want to talk about a couple things. Number one is Matt Jordan at jordanstrength.com is uh, I launched a bunch of new courses uh, taken a couple and or I'm in the middle of taking a couple and they are really outstanding really really good stuff um, and um, I, you know I think uh, I think quite highly of Matt as everyone knows um, and so I've offered up uh, a free sprint bundle uh, from my site with Dan Paff and PJ Vazel. Uh, anyone who signs up for one of his courses will get a free uh, sprint bundle from mine. Uh, full disclosure, I don't get anything from that, but uh, I'm just doing it uh, to promote his stuff because I think so highly of it. And uh, anyway, so uh, go to jordanstrength.com if you're interested in that. It's really good stuff. Um, feedback again is, uh, really good. Thanks. Thanks a lot for all the good feedback. Really appreciate it. The, every time I get something on one of the presenters, I forward it to them. So, uh, uh they really appreciate that. Uh, what's coming up soon on the podcast is Mike Young. I'm interviewing him this week, actually, or having a conversation with him. That'll be really good. Uh, He's on the site, got a couple of great uh, lectures from the ICAE conference. Um, and there's two or three more that are going to go up very soon. Uh, I'm finally getting around to getting the rest of that content up on the site. Uh, Kevin Tolbert will be up uh, after him or at some point after him. Still got a few more with uh, Stu to do. Uh, Matt himself will be up. Matt Jordan will be up on it. And... Uh, and I got uh, an idea from another great idea from my friend Tom Novak uh, to interview a guy named John O'Malley, who is a very experienced distance runner and coach. He coaches at a high school here in Chicago. And I want to have a chat with him about you know, how to prepare endurance runners through high school for college and, you know, in, in the context of all of this uh, progressions that I'm talking, that I'm always talking about. And uh, I wouldn't call it long-term athlete development because, that, you know, as I've come to realize that means something very specific to people. But uh, in terms of long-term progressions for developing athletes and, you know, there's, a, there's times to break those rules and him and I are going to have a talk about that and what that means. So, uh, so that's some of the content that's coming up, okay? Um, sound issues seem to be all dealt with, so that's good. If you still have any issues, let me know. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, one other thing. Someone asked me about uh, where I'm taking this in terms of is it going to be developmental or elite or high performance or whatever, and I don't know. I just want to go wherever I want to go with it. I want to talk about all of it at everything so whatever sort of tickles my fancy is what is what i write script about and then do those podcasts or you know i find an expert on the topic so that's where all of this is going to be headed okay so today i am speaking with les spellman and this is uh, a guy that Stu put me on to we 
you know, it's just, hey, listen, you got to talk to this guy. I think you and him get along great. So we got on a uh, Zoom call together and we talked for two hours. And it was, uh, you know, 10 minutes into it, I knew I should have been recording that, but I didn't. Anyways, he is a speed performance uh, specialist uh, slash everything. You know, he's one of these guys that kind of does everything. He runs a business called Spellman Performance where he works with uh, not just youth development athletes. I think that's a sort of a smaller part of what he does, but he does mainly with high-end athletes, elite athletes. He works with USA Rugby, uh, USC Lacrosse. He's got, um, he's got, I think, the biggest and one of the most successful combine, NFL combine preparation uh, um, programs that's in the United States. Uh, I think that's kind of where he's making it a name right now, um, although when we talk about that in the podcast. It's, um, he really sees himself as a uh, as a as a speed coach and a speed expert, and I think he absolutely is. And I think this is a really inter- interesting conversation along the lines of, you know, what what does speed mean across all sports, and how do you train it, and what does that look like? And we do get into quite a bit of specifics here, so I think those who have been looking for that are going to get a lot out of this. Uh, he also runs a podcast. It's called Speed Talks, which I thought is a very clever name. Um, and, you know, I said this before, um, but every time I think that the world is going down the toilet and you really kind of get that impression these days <laughs> uh, with what's going on uh, just at every level everywhere, uh, if, if, if you're listening to this, you know, if, if this podcast ends up on the website, uh, years from now, and you've forgotten what it was like during the pandemic, I can tell you we're right in the thick of the second wave, which is the worst right now, uh, worst so far. And it is tough. It's difficult. But anyway, every time I think that, uh, you know, with the, the, the polarization now and the, you know, the way things are going online and I think oh my god you know I have three kids that are young teenagers and I worry I worry about what the futures hold but every every time I I get into that negative mode I run into somebody like Les and I'm just blown away with how bright and how smart and how logical and uh, just, just, you know, just the, they just, you know, really impress me because I, you know, of course it's natural to compare yourself to them when you were their age. And I'm telling you, man, Les is 32 years old. And when I was 32 years old, I was uh, a disaster as a, you know, on every level. I mean, I was actually doing a pretty good job coaching, but everything else was a, was a nightmare. As I didn't stop drinking until I was 33, so uh, which is 22 years ago. But uh, this guy is so far beyond where I, or for that matter, mo- any colleague of mine I can think of, was at that age. It's amazing. And one of the things that I mean, I'm talking as a person, as just as a person. I think that'll come through when you when you listen uh, to this podcast, but. 
you know, every time this happens to me and I meet someone like him, uh, I think, okay, well, maybe, maybe the future isn't, doesn't look all that bad because if people like Les represent the future, then I think we're going to be in pretty good hands. One of the things that blows me away about Les is, uh, you know, as a coach, he has a, an insight and a wisdom that is well beyond his years. And I can just tell from talking to him. I can tell by the way he talks about how he thinks, um, how he questions himself before he points the finger at anyone else. You can tell he points a finger at himself. Uh, you know, uh, takes that responsibility for his programming, is always searching for uh, new ways to do things. He is a big data guy, but he's not, you, you'll, you'll, you'll see, you'll hear all this. You'll get a sense of all this in the interview. He's not a slave to the data, which is, which is really, I mean, that takes a lot of, you know, that takes a lot of experience. Um, and at 32, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. Anyways, I could go on and on. I think, I think you're really going to enjoy this. So one last thing is, uh, we had some technical issues with this one. I wasn't able to get the normal recording equipment out to last. And so we did this over zoom. Um, and there was some issue on his end where we lost, uh, 10 minutes, 10 minutes of recording at the beginning. So, uh, but it, it wasn't anything technical. It was just him, him and I uh, talking about his background and things like that. Okay. So without, uh, without any more delay, for better or for worse, here's my evil chat with Les Bellman. That's because it was like, it's an addicting feeling. Like I think as an athlete, I was addicted to the process of working really hard and then winning. And then, as a coach, I was addicted to seeing an athlete go from A to B and then watching their life change as a result. And, and that's what I fell in love with. So, yeah. That's Man, you're, <laughs> now I see why Stu set us up, right? But, I mean, you, you, you could – like, you are living my life at that age. Like, that, that's exactly what I was like. I was yeah. so in love with the process. I was like, just love – I just love the nuts and bolts. Like, I just love being out there, like literally building things to make the environment and always thinking about how can I make things more efficient and better for the athletes. And, you know, I mean, it was just like, I just loved it. You know, it was, it was a perfect job for my personality because I'm a bit hyper and I'm a bit, I'm a good multitasker. Yeah, no, that's the key. Multitasking. I think that was, I, I was poor at multitasking in most things in life. In fact, like when my, my girlfriend is talking to me and I'm trying to text, I can only do one or the other. I can't do both. But in coaching, it seems like I can multitask extremely well. Like I could see one athlete and out of the corner, I, corner of my eye, I could see two more. Plus I could see the people walking up and it would all make sense to me. It just like something about that environment just made sense 100%. Whereas everywhere else in my life, I wasn't efficient. I wasn't organized. I wasn't have a hitter. <laughs> you know. Have you ever taken like an online ADD test? <laughs> oh man, I got ADD times. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's it, right? That's yeah. it. And and it and if you are a coach, a hands-on 
nuts and bolts coach, that is your greatest gift. Great. Right. Yeah. Like, like totally, because it's like, you know, like I coached a guy named Dylan Armstrong. Okay. Who went on to not with me, but with Dr. Bonnerchuk, uh, win, uh, Olympic bronze. That guy is so ADD. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And he's coaching now and he's doing a stellar job coaching. I mean, yeah. you, you, you just can't take people like us and stick us in, in a confined space and ask us to sit, sit still for a long period of time because we just, we just can't take it. But if we're in an environment where we can move around and, you know, there's lots of stimulus, we actually thrive quite well. Yeah. The level of detail. And it's funny because like, I think it took a, a long time for me to catch my regular life up to where I was at in my coaching life. So my coaching life, so I was super organized, super detailed, very precise, very like sharp. And then in my regular life, it was kind of just like, whatever. <laughs> and it took me a long time <laughs> to balance those two out. It was like, yeah. It, yeah. It, so it was the weirdest thing ever. Did you actually get it caught up? No, I don't think it ever. Yeah, I didn't think so. No, but yeah. it, it's more caught up than it was in yeah. the beginning um, because yeah. I, I balanced it. And like I was doing things in coaching that to me seemed intuitive. I was like, well, if I did that in my real life, oh man, <laughs> or if I did that, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was interesting. Yeah. Well, you wait, buddy. How old's your daughter? She's only a few months old, right? She's almost, she's almost 12 weeks, almost three months. Yeah. Yeah. So you wait, man, because yeah. they, they have a real, you know, they, it's going to become more important and more of a struggle for you to, as she gets older for you yeah. to, you know, because they need routine, right? They need, yeah. and, and you need them to need routine yeah. and, and it's hard and you, and it's weird. It's really fucked up because you have, you have in you all of the skills to do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, all you got to do is treat her like an athlete. Mm-hmm. Right. And you, and you can organize, but it just doesn't happen as well yeah. as you think it's like, it's really, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a challenge, but I've never achieved that. In fact, I, I have a, I just met, a buddy here, a guy that's become a good friend, him and his wife have become good friends of me and my wife since we moved to Chicago and he's a music band. We, we, we have these cross interests like crazy. His name's Tom. And a second or third time that we ever sort of got together, he just in the, you know, we were talking about something and I was, I was doing what I normally do, which is I'm all over the place. And he stops and he goes, how, how are you so renowned as this organizer and planner and yet you can't finish a sentence like 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 he's he's saying this you know and and i'm like yeah i don't know man it's like two different brains i i I can't explain it honestly yeah it's it's so funny it's so funny yeah that's cool that's cool so so um yeah let's let's get back to what you do though you run a business that basically uh is 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 nfl combine all you do or do you do no you don't no no you don't because you have pitches but you basically you're like a a performance specialist yeah i'm not even sure what the right term is but maybe uh, uh, yeah essentially like nfl combine is a piece of it um and it's funny because people think that's the most lucrative piece like it's not it's probably the least in terms of time spent and money made Really? Wow. Yeah, no, it is. It's, um, I'll get into that. It's a, it's a crazy structure, how the performance world is built, but 
NFL Combine, NFL offseason. We have uh, MLB players. Like, we have our elite side. Um, we've done probably about 120 NFL and about 56 Olympians in 2016, 2018 Winter Olympics, and then now going into the 2021 cycle. You have 56 Olympians training in your – under your – in your with 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 you or or coaches yeah. in your company or yeah well we consulted with a couple of teams so some right. some athletes we've worked <clears throat> with since 2014 and they've gone through one Olympic cycle and now heading into the second um, we had one bobsledder that went 2014 and then again 2018 and then now 2022 so yeah we've had we've had a good amount of um on the elite side. So that's like one aspect of it. And then another layer down is our youth development, which is a much broader spectrum. A lot of soccer, a lot of lacrosse, football, kind of all around, just general intro basics to high performance training and, and development. And then we have another layer, which is online. Um, we just surpassed, I think, a thousand app users. Was that yesterday? Yesterday or today? So, and, and that's within like the past couple months, we did uh, 2,500 people last year on the app. So we've, we've kind of grown on the online side of things, but. Um, what's, what's the app? Is it a, it's like a training uh, advice, like people sign up for it and you, and you, you distribute programs, you give yeah. you provide programming and okay. Yeah, we have two. So one is very general and it's just more drill based and progressions you can go on there and type in acceleration a bunch of acceleration stuff will pop up or you can get a whole program in the app but it's again very general then we have a more specific one um, called the speed code which has literally everything it's got jumping agility speed some strength on there um, wow. I partnered with the NBA strength coach and him and I kind of came together and created this this program um, he already had a very 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 successful existing program in the past and um, he, he hit me up, he was like, hey, let's do one together. And we did, and it's done since, I think it, we started December 15th or 16th, or maybe a little bit later, closer to Christmas. Got a thousand people since then. So it's, it's growing in the past month, but um, yeah, there's three levels. And, and when I started, I did everything. Like I had, I had an adult group. I think we had, I don't know, I owned a gym, so we probably had 200 adults, 100 kids. You so, also owned a gym? Yeah, I owned a gym for a couple of years. Wow. Twenty seven, twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight years old, and I was like, "That's what I thought life was about." I was making good money, but I realized like I got really good at a lot of things, but not really good at any one thing. So I started to be really general, and then after that process, um, I I didn't want to be. So like, it's it's funny because like I definitely wanted to be in business and make money and do all that but I didn't love the business side of it. And no, tell me about it. Yeah, so like the gym part of it was like, running a gym is less about how good your quality of programming is, it's more about how good your marketing is and how good your systems are to bring people in the door and retain those clients. So where I saw the gym business going is like more into the fads to kind of capture clients and then just retain them. And I, I just didn't love it, I didn't love that. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to do was kind of hone in on what I felt like was, a gap in the market at the time, which was speed. And, and I had been a strength coach. Like I had done, you know, stuff for the Olympics and everything. Like I, I, I know strength, but it was more about what I felt like was underperforming in terms of really just the industry 
at the time. And I felt and, and what timeline are we talking about here? Like, 2017 is kind of when I started really get niche based and right. speed. And and part of it was because perfect timing. I, yeah, I was on a search for it as well. So I'm YouTubing, talking to coaches, and like what I realized is I'm calling like at the time I think I pulled up to the Altus um, apprentice coach, and this is where I just I couldn't afford it, so I was just watching Stu and Dan do their thing. I was like, oh, this is it. But then there's a massive gap between that and what was out there on the internet as far as content. So on the internet, you go to YouTube, um, you look up speed, and there's like, <laughs> there's like no governing body on speed. It's just everything, everything you would ever imagine is out there. Do this, do this. Yeah. Do this. It's now, a wild west. Yeah. Wild west. But you go to conditioning or strength, and those are a lot more structured. People have kind of figured out you know, the periodization stuff for, for strength or how to get a stronger back squat or even how to get a better vertical jump. Mm -hmm. But for speed, that didn't exist. So I'm, I'm looking at this gap between the market in, in terms of what high school coaches are teaching their kids for speed and what Stu's teaching for speed. I'm like, okay, there's a gap and I want to fill that gap. Number one, because I want to learn it and I want to get better at it so I can teach. So I just went on this quest to kind of uncover more and more and more um, ways to take a very difficult concepts that all tastes and Olympic coaches knew, but make it simple enough because I, I have ADD and I, I don't learn very well. So I was like, if I can learn it, pretty much anyone can learn it. And, yeah. um, and yeah. that's kind of how it started. So that's how I got really focused on speed. Yeah. That was, that was, that's yeah. Again, similar, you know, to me, I always, uh, just when I when I was your age and I was at uh, the the CACC, this coaching center in Canada, where we started all of this stuff, and you know that was always my my thing was the way I approached interviewing, collecting information, whatever con the way I approached the content in general was like fifty percent of it was well, this is what I want to know, and fifty percent of it was. I want to present it in a way that the average coach can understand the, not necessarily the high end guys. I want to be able to take that info and not dummy it down, but you know, like almost it's, it's almost like you're taking a high res file and making it into an MB, uh, an MP3 for, right. you know what I mean? Like you're taking out the stuff that's important if you want the really high end stuff, right? You got to have it. But but you take all of that out and you're left with just the basic important stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, so, Oh, that's cool. So, so what is the dip? So let's, 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 let's go there for a second with yeah. the speed. You said, you know, what you saw at the high school level in terms of speed development yeah. was going on and what Stu and Altus were doing and how, how would you describe that difference? Yeah. Um, okay. So, the best way to explain it is the source of information for high school coaches back when I was in high school was like two or three training manuals. And then, you know, like it wasn't like nobody was like researching on YouTube and all that. Like there wasn't a, a ton of information out there on it. It was kind of like everyone was kind of getting the same sources. And then, so that's how they interpret it. And then that got passed down to the next generation, next generation, next generation. Which sources are you like traditional, some of the traditional manuals on speed development or? Yeah. Were... yeah so there was like a couple of books, a couple of articles, a couple of journals. Right. Cool. 
And then that got passed down, you know, one coach taught another coach taught another coach. But what I saw was that every generation after they weren't necessarily updating the information that they were getting or researching the information they were getting. It was kind of like, this is how I was taught. This is what I'm going to do. So for example, when I was in high school and they're teaching speed training, it was, it looked like this. It was, um, run on your toes, um, 90 to 90 with your arms. And what else, what else did I hear? Um, we did a lot of one fifties and one tens, yeah. you know, we did a lot of, we did a lot of endurance training and they're like, well, that's going to get you strong enough to run fast. But nobody's really diving into like, well, when I looked at video, nobody's arms were at 90. When I looked at video, my whole foot touched the ground in, in, in max velocity almost. So I'm like, hmm, there's got to be, there's a gap here. So mm -hmm. I think what the gap was between what Stu is doing, what high school coaches were doing is that high school coaches didn't have the time to dive into what it actually was versus what they'd been taught. Mm -hmm. And Stu and Altis and those guys, their careers depended on researching and studying, right. trying to get that 1% edge. Um, right. But, but there, there's also another layer to that though, which is not only was what they were studying not correct, yeah. but there's also the whole, um, the whole issue of, you know, in terms of workloads and the type of, yeah. you know, the, the volumes, intensities, not so much intensity, but the, the, the volumes that you would do with a high school athlete, depending on what level they're at, is completely different than what you would do with an elite athlete. hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. So, yeah, no. And, and for sure. And, and also at the time, like if you look at early 2000s to 2010, you had a boom in um, like internet salesmen selling products. So you had band parachutes, all this, all this stuff. So it stopped getting, away, it got away from a biomechanical model and got more towards a like gimmick model, gimmick model. And that mm -hmm. further muddy, muddied the waters because they're like, Oh, well, we saw this, this program do it and they have really good athletes. So that must be it, you know, and, and, and it fell into that trap. So, what I did was like, I tried to go back to the beginning. Like, what are we actually looking at? Um, and, and started to really dive into exploration and looking at the research because there's a lot of really good researchers out there, but people weren't reading the research. They're reading the gimmicks. They're, you know, they're looking at that, you know, the social media experts. So yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, my, my uh, second podcast I did. So I've been alternating my podcast, one uh, interview style like this, and then the second one, I write a script or I put together some of my own thoughts on a topic. And two of those are out now. And the, the one, the second interview with Stu is up as we speak. I just put it up now. Okay. I, I listened uh, to the first one. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So the, but the second one that I did, uh, like, and I buried this near the end because I knew nobody was going to, like nobody, you know, very few people get through the ones. They, they all want to hear Stu, right? Like, so if you, you know, everybody's, but I said in it, you know, like, uh, yeah, I probably offended a few people with, with what I said, but I was, I, I went on a little bit of a rant about that, you know, and I said, Hey, listen, man, if you want to make some money, here's how you do it. Right. And I went through this list of all of these, all of these things that these, a lot of these charlatans and guys peddling gimmicks do, you know, and, and, and one of them was, you know, invent a gimmick, invent, a, invent something 
around whatever it is you're trying to sell or, you know, maybe that is the product yeah. um, that just, uh, you know, that will, you know, people will think, oh my God, if I just buy this thing, I'll, it'll, you know. Yeah. And, that, and that was it. And that was like, the industry was like, it was like, here's the secret to speed training. It was like every gimmick. And then it was like, I was like, oh, let me look at it. I look at it and be like, we'll pay $69.99. I'm like, mm -hmm. wait, what? Mm -hmm. Everybody, so it was just this mystery. And it was like, people were making money based on being mysterious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah. if you don't have this, you're not going to run faster. Not, But nobody understood, like, why does that thing work? Or why does it not work? So yeah, it, it was more just frustrating um, for me in the beginning to kind of bounce between the two worlds I was in because, you know, I was at the Olympic Training Center. So, I'm, you know, I met um, Ralph Mann and, and those guys, those researchers. Which, which center, the one in Chula Vista or the one in uh, Colorado? Chula Vista, I was at Chula Vista okay. for like five years. Okay. I went there originally as an athlete and then ended okay. up as a coach. So I'm around like these super high level guys, but then in my, and, you know, private training business, like I'm around high school coaches and parents that are like, um, you know, I really want my son to run on his toes. Like, you know, we'll uh -huh. <laughs> we're just like, oh my God, you know, there's, there's a big gap. And it started out with me just trying to figure out for myself how to, how to explain better to those parents, like what I, what I was actually doing versus what they thought should be done. And then the second part was educating, like, this is, um, you know, this is what I feel like the industry needs to, it needs to go in this direction based around where it's at now. And it's still, it's still not even there. I mean, I think alt, without Altus, we'd be even further apart. But Altus has done a, an amazing job of educating coaches and giving knowledge like to myself and hundreds of other people out there. Yeah, they've, they, they've, uh, I mean, it's incredible actually. And I, and I also, in that same podcast, I, I, I have a section in it where I talk about like where, where to get information. And, you know, I mean, I'm biased because I contributed to some of that, especially in the youth development area and the planning and uh, periodization. Yeah. But I just do not see how you can, how you can get a better all around yet also very high end education um, in terms of exactly what, is going on now like what are the methods that people are using now as yeah. opposed to supposed to when, when i was like when i was your age right information was i mean you know it all came from books right books or or a mentor right those those are the you know or you know people doing it let's say but the books is even the best books were on average 10 years behind yeah. In terms of what, what people were actually doing, right? Like I remember when Charlie's book came out, it was a big influence on me. Uh, and I knew him. Um, but you know, and 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 that's probably one exception there where he was, you know, he was he was cutting edge. But uh I mean it's just, you know, but the altist, I mean, it's just like I don't between Stu, PJ, and Dan. Oh my god. Like, I mean, it it's just like I just it's a one-stop. There it is. Like if yeah. you can just do that course, you are going to be, you know, that's, that's 90% of the education you're probably ever going to need yeah. if you really yeah. absorb it well. Yeah. hundred percent. But the problem is now is that th that is like, we know that, but there's so much information out there. There's information overload. 
and people are they don't know which direction to go to and they're like well yeah. I'll take a little bit from this but this guy's telling me to run squatted and this guy's telling me to externally rotate my feet when i come off the ground and this guy's telling me to land on the outer edge there's so much out there now because anybody can get a paid ad i'm always coming back to there's no governing body there's nobody that's like nope that's not true <laughs> you know, so, yeah 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 no no totally and that's and, and that's why i don't know if it's that did is it the first talk with Stu? did we talk about first principles in that one yeah or is or is it oh we did okay so that's you know that's why that's so important right he calls it first principles i call it you know understanding the basics at a fundamental level because if you really like if you understand physics and biomechanics and you know the basic force application well then you can see through 90 percent of this bullshit right Right. because it's just not going to make sense to you you know it's just you know whereas if you don't well then you're then you you've set yourself up for a lot of issues because you're gonna you know how, how do you know right exactly Exactly. Yeah. So, so tell me a bit about the youth development athletes that you work with here. So are these, these are athletes across all sports, yep. right? And are these, is this like uh, kids coming to kids or athletes coming to a center that you're at and you're training them or are you mostly, I mean, I know it's COVID, but, um, are you are you consulting online? Like, how would um, if I was a if I, if, if I wanted my one of my kids to be involved in your program, how would that look? Yeah, so right now it it does exist online and, and in person. Okay. Um, in person is kind of it's right now because of COVID, it's very 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 complex. But typically we'd have a a group that trains like two or three times a week. But right now it's more one one day a week, and we call it a high performance mini camp. So every time they train, it's a two-hour block of training. And then they have, like, programming that they do throughout the week to practice some of those concepts. On their own? Yeah, on their own. So okay, like, cool. Friday night, um, we rent our field for two hours. We go over concepts. We do some video. Um, they take some notes. We practice. Then they go out on their own, and they practice on their own. Um, mm-hmm. But in the past, it's been more of, like, a daily training, weekly training type thing. And we've – you know, probably per year, see like a couple hundred kids. Um, and out of those couple hundred, maybe 50 are very consistent, like 30 to 40 weeks per year. And you see wow. that. Yeah. So uh, those types of athletes, like one example is Katarina Macario. She trained with us from 12 years old till now she's 20. And she's one of the best soccer players in the world. She just made the U.S. women's soccer team. But she did you know, that hundred session mark every year since 12 years old. Really? Wow. Cool. So can we just then take a look at what your program is across say the entry to formal training, which to me should be somewhere around 12 to 14 years of age. Yeah. I I would probably prefer it around 14, but I think it can be a bit earlier depending on the, especially females. Um, let's start with speed. So what, what does that look like? Uh, you know, in, for, for me, I, I always break up youth development in two year blocks basically. So, you know, 12 to 14, 14 to 16, 16 to 18 and 18 to 20, 18 to 20 be in that stage where, you know, uh, they're, they're getting, they're either, depending on the sport, they're either entering high performance or they are about to. 
Um, let's start at the beginning with speed. So let, just, just give me an idea of what the do's and don'ts are in speed development for athletes across that yeah. timeline. Yeah, so, um, well, first, 12 to 14 for youth development is a massive window of trainability um, from a coordination standpoint. Not necessarily from a speed, velocity, power standpoint, but more from a coordination uh, standpoint, because that's that's when they're starting to hit their peak height um, velocity, and they're they're really growing at that at, at a clip right there. So, have you read this? Since the grades of training adolescence, yeah, I I think which which article, which one was that? You mean which out of which, which book? I think I've read that one. It's new. Just came out. Oh, you know, I didn't. No. I'm trying. Oh man, you should read this. Dude. Yeah. I I'm trying to get these guys on the podcast. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah. that's, that, that's yeah. a huge rabbit hole that we could talk about later. Hi, just want to step in here. The article we're talking about is called Sensitive Periods to Train General Motor Abilities in Children and Adolescents. Do they exist? A critical appraisal uh, by the main authors are Bas van Huren and Marc Desecroix. Um, it's in the National Strength and Conditioning Association's uh, journal. Okay. It's a great article. I pretty much like truthfully start everyone the same. Um, and, and what I do, what I mean by that is I look at postures and positions first. So before we start adding on velocity, before we start accumulating acceleration volume or a higher density in training, we look at postures and patterns. And we start to really, really hone in on, okay, what are the KPIs I'm looking for? So the first thing we do is we analyze what's really important to sprinting is, is the hips and the trunk. So how do the hips, how do, how do the hips move and where's the trunk supposed to be? And essentially it's simple. Like the simplest way to explain it for me is you walk before you you're run. talking about, you're talking about through acceleration or at, at not, any point, not even just generally like just we, standing there. You be, we become aware of where our trunk is in space and where our hips are in space. It's very proprioceptive. So we think okay. about, walking before we run so a lot of our drills in the very beginning no matter what level they're at pro high school middle school we start with walking and it could be as simple as um you know a walks with a pause meaning like we're going to teach you how to do hip flexion and we're going to teach you how to do hip extension at a very 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 slow pace so we haven't even started running yet we haven't even added on acceleration or velocity um we're going to teach you how to move. And then we progress from there to now we're going to put you in more of a uh, acceleration position to perform the same skill. Can you flex the hip? Can you drive down using your glute? Well, we're going to put you at a different angle. And then we progress that. So everything goes from very general and very like non-specific to acceleration, non-specific to max velocity, but more specific to relearning how to use your hip and your glute and everything based around the pelvis and where your trunk is while you do it. And then we progress further to, here's an acceleration posture, do the same thing. Then we add a little bit of velocity. So for every running program that we have, like starting eight, you know, eight years old or whatever they do, 12 years old, professional, they start with two weeks of no running. And that's a re-education process for them. So there is, there is things that look like running. There is things that will expose them to velocities, but there is no actual sprint running. So for example, when we're teaching max velocity, we don't say run it, run at max velocity. 
we teach them drills that are very similar to max velocity in the beginning, like dribbles or, um, you know, speed dribbles, things like that, that have constraints. But at the same time, we're, we're reteaching them how to work. When you say constraints, constraints in that they can't open up. Right. So, for example, if I were to say to an athlete, how do you open up? And it's the first time I've ever met them. The word open up to them means they kick their leg out in front of them and they pull the ground under them. I'm like, no. What I want, if we open up, the way we're going to open up is by pushing hard. the ground with yeah. a ton of force and that hip finishes behind the center. The only way we go forward is... What do you mean the hip finishes, be, the, the, the hip finish, finishes extending right. behind the center of mass? Yeah. Right, behind the center of mass. So I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to make sure it's clear for people that may not be super yeah. familiar with sprinting. Yeah, so, it, like, for example, the difference between a drill and a run is how we're doing the hip extension portion. Because when we're drilling, we don't have a ton of extension through the hip and they're able to do a ton of reps at a slow pace. And as soon as we start to get that hip extension, the foot is finishing behind the center of mass and the hip is finishing, now we'll start to get more velocity. So when, when, we, when we say constraints, what we're talking about is giving them, um, giving them rules that they can't break until we allow them to break it. So for example, I say you have to earn velocity. Velocity isn't something you start with, it's an earned skill. Yeah, that's what Stu says. That's what he, uh, he we, we, we just recorded our fifth podcast, if you can believe that, yesterday. And, and he said that yesterday, yeah. Yeah, I know. I love it. You got to earn it. So, for example, my pro guys, I, I have these guys that are, you know, I have number one pick, probably number three pick, probably. I mean, these guys are top, top, top picks. They haven't run at max velocity. We're going on week three. Yeah. Because they haven't earned the right yet. Yeah. So by, by that, for you. yeah, it means that they're, they haven't been exposed to it because they can't get it, get to that velocity safe enough that I, that I will allow them to open up. Mm-hmm. Open. I, I never, I don't use the word open up anymore because every time I say that they kick the leg in front. So I just say, yeah, you don't let them, you don't let them progress in right. terms of the mechanic until right. they've, until they're, they're competent in whatever movement. Yep. Yeah. You, you want so okay so let's so okay let's say that's happened okay yeah. um so then what does it look like from there let's talk a little bit about you know like what distances do you sort of do you work around what you know yeah so it's or 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 let's just keep going with mechanic wherever you want to go with it yeah no it's it's super open so um i'll just speak generally because it, it it always you know people could be like well it depends on the population whatever totally totally um What's safe is, is acceleration. So I can increase the volume of acceleration safely. Even if it's not perfect, I can increase the volume of acceleration. And really, truthfully, the skill of acceleration is more important to most team sport athletes than, than max velocity. So not, not necessarily the, the stimulus, but the skill of accelerating is important. So the first thing that we do is increase the volume of acceleration. The max velocity part, on the other hand, is a higher risk and it is more of a skill to run at higher velocities. But if we can get there with an efficient acceleration, then cool, maybe it's better. So what we do first after that two-week block is we increase the amount of acceleration. We increase the amount of resisted acceleration. 
So when I'm teaching them how to use their hips, how to, how to flex and extend where their trunk is. Now, when I take them through resisted runs, outside of the power perspective, a resisted run is going to allow <coughs> them to achieve those postures that I was just talking about and achieve those, those uh, kinematics that I was just talking about without, without doing it at a high velocity. So what I mean by that is it literally slows down the, the learning process for them so they can learn how to retract the leg back into the ground. Right, right. Uh, so let's, let's, let's talk about that for a second, though. Okay, let's talk about that because this is a big issue. So are, what you're describing to me right now, are you talking about any athlete at any level that comes to you? This is the progression that you would use because you just talked about these number one picks, right? Yeah. Or are you talking about, uh, you know, is this, are you talking about youth development, these 12, 14, 16 year olds? Any level. Any okay. level. Any, okay. any level. So where I'm going with this then is, so you will use resisted sprint training with the younger ones yeah you can 100 okay okay yeah, so I, this is interesting that you say this okay because i i coached the, the 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 best event the best the event i'm best at coaching i think or where my main expertise has sort of fallen is the hammer mm -hmm. okay and throwing heavy weights in hammer throwing heavier weights than normal is in in throwing is the equivalent of towing a sled in accelerate in sprinting okay yeah. it's considered a specialized exercise yeah. that you wouldn't do with youth development yeah. right okay yeah. that's what I'm, I'm not saying that's what i'm thinking i'm saying that's what that's a traditional thought but this is where the problem is and and, and Stu and i talked a lot about this in, in our discussions is that you know on the in theory, or at least generally speaking, that's true. I agree with that, right? But it's if this is where black and white thinking kills people. It's like, oh, you know, no, you can't use heavy hammers for for training with young kids. No, you can't use sleds for training with young kids. It's inappropriate. Yeah. Well, as opposed to a more nuanced thinking, which is like. Like I will use a heavy hammer for a young thrower to teach them position for exactly the same reason. If I'm hearing you right, that you use the sled, it slows it down. So it, it, it allows them to get into positions and feel those positions in a wider time frame than they would, than they would feel when they're, when they're actually throwing. So in other words, if you could, you know what the hammer throw is, right? You get in, you spin and you release, right? Well, that happens very quickly. Like a world-class hammer thrower is like just, just over a second, right? Four turns, like boom, 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 boom. And you don't have a, a lot of times, you don't have time when, when you're in training and trying to work on mechanics, you don't have time to feel, I mean, it just happens so fast, right? So what I'll do is I'll put super heavy loads in with a with a hammer and have them not so much throw but do turns. So because it's the same thing, you need the extra weight because with, without the extra weight, you 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 can't you can't get your body weight back against it, which is critical in the hammer, right? So in order to feel that, you have to have the weight. You can't do it with a stick in your hand, which yeah. is what a lot of people do with kids. It's yeah. the same thing with towing a sled. The yeah. moment the moment you put a you hook a sled up to somebody, 
they get in a pretty goddamn good acceleration posture yeah. naturally, right? I wouldn't. It's not maybe. I mean, you, you. Okay, yeah. so so I, like, I, I like I don't like slides. It was like, well, would you let someone run up a hill? And I'm like, yeah, of course. I'm like, well, what's the difference? It's the same forces, mm -hmm. the same postures. Yep. And we don't always like use them, but there's times like, for example, we might do a resisted march, and it's not for the power development always. Now there yes. is power. Like if I'm training guys for the draft and I have eight weeks, yeah, like I'm looking at power, but with a kid, I'm looking at how do we how do we introduce postures that look like it's yes, exactly. You 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 aren't doing it as a form of specialized training. You're yeah. using it as a as a as a motor learning tool. It's a yeah. teaching tool. Yeah, hundred percent. And then that's important, and that's important in these discussions to point out. Yeah. Because because you're gonna have people out there that are gonna go well, Les Spellman. I've seen 14 year olds towing sleds and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know. Yeah. And they actually had a ton of, they had research come out. Um, I think the study was done on 13 or 14 year olds and, and sled towing. And it's safe. It's, it, it's safe. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, I mean, well, it, if it's rationally implemented. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you like know. anything else. Like, yeah. Um, even, you know, the conception with like, they they think okay towing sleds is somewhere to like barbell back squatting it's not i mean they're not loading the spine number yeah. one yeah <laughs> you're not yeah. it's not excessive overload on the joints in fact if anything like if you were to say what's what's more dangerous high speed running or sled work i would say high speed running oh absolutely absolutely 100 more have you ever have you ever studied or um do you know anything about gerard mock Oh, Does that name ring? Okay, so have you ever seen his return to sprinting program, which is for for an athlete that has pulled a hamstring? Yeah, yeah. So it's all like it's a bunch of five and ten meter. You, you start off with literally a five meter acceleration, and you're doing yeah. it like the day after, like two days after you've pulled your hamstring, right? Yeah, yeah. The body can handle acceleration much better than it can handle high speed running yeah exactly because you're you because you're not engaging the hamstring the way that you do further down the track the more you get upright the more the hamstring becomes engaged in the sense that in the sense of the way that you pulled it right in the center and, portion. yeah and that's you know anyway so right. okay training we look at our acceleration volume versus our max our high speed running volume we do 1014 accelerations from day one until the end of their process, which is uh, 10 or 11 weeks in total, 1,014. High-speed runs, we're looking at. Sorry, these are, these are we're, we're, we're back at any athlete, or this is this along is, your. This is like, I mean, it, it, this is elite, but it's also, it, it, it applies to everything. So 10% of that volume is high-speed running. All right, okay. So out of those 1,014, only 10%. And, that's that's our population and it's a uh, it's um you know when i say high speed running i mean 95 to 100% of their peak velocity so there's times where you're hitting you're you're building up to a high speed but it's not that um but the times where we go very 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 fast is a very small percentage yeah and and, and what are those those are those in the form of like flying 
flying uh, flying run segments or like 10, yeah. 20 meter segments? Yeah, we do. We do some. We do a good amount of flying sprints. When I say good amount, like four or five a week. And then we have a lot of um, accelerations that build up to a higher velocity. Um, but if you look at, like, we have a, a category of, in our data that's, like, distance between um, 90, 90 to 95% velocity, 95 to 100. And those are, like, very, very, very small distances when you look at an entire week. Then you look, if you go down to 85%, you'll see like a lot more. You go down to 60%, a lot more. But when people see 60%, they're like, oh, you're only running 60% intensity. Like, no, we're running 100% intensity, but the, we're not building up to the highest velocity that we can reach all the time. There's a lot more runs that build up to a lower velocity, lower meaning like 85% velocity. 85% of their of their peak of their peak meters per second velocity. And that's because what they're accelerating. Yeah, because they're, they're right. accelerating, but we're not, every acceleration doesn't need to end in the highest velocity. So when we're yeah, of athletes, we're trying to work on the skill, the motor learning, mm -hmm. the neuroplasticity of acceleration. So we're doing, if we were to do all out speed reps and training, we're limited to a smaller amount of volume that we can't come back and repeat. Uh, it can't yeah. be as dense as, as sessions. We can't repeat a session again on Wednesday and then again on Friday and then right. maybe a micro session on Saturday. You can't do that mm -hmm. because it's going to take so long to recover. So we do it a lot of volume when we're training youth athletes of acceleration and drills mm -hmm. that build on acceleration and help provide context for acceleration. You get the eviltracksport.com stamp of approval. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> um, so, okay, so let me ask you, uh, I think, a question that might be running through the heads of some people. So what's the, and these are kind of, you know, it's a bit of a ridiculous question, but I, but I want to ask it. What's, what's the longest distance an athlete, a speed power athlete, in your development program, anytime along that continuum, what's the furthest distance they'll run in your program? Um, yeah, this will probably shock some people. Um, for our, our, okay, let me start with the elite. Hang on, I'm gonna write down what I think you're gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay, go ahead. Yeah, our, our furthest was 30 meters in our elite group that we ran. Oh my god, really? Yeah, See, I had 50. Yeah. <laughs> But that's that's to now. Like we'll build, we'll do more, we'll do more. But like yeah. we we are really um, we start segment by segment. So like with our elite group, we've only done thirty. But we'll build to forty and fifty. There, I mean, mm -hmm. for a lot of my guys, there's no point in doing sixty meters. But it's not a mile. No, it's not a mile. I mean, <laughs> when you look at the the curve, most yeah. of our, our athletes are hitting their peak velocity by twenty five yards or twenty. 2.23 meters somewhere around there so what are we actually working if they run 60 we're actually working more of a speed endurance stimulus which is good for some athletes and, they, and we, we definitely need it but most of my athletes if you look at our running backs the average play is under 10 yards you look at how many runs they have per season over 30 yards it's not a ton now we do sprint over that distance with wickets with 
but when we're talking about 95 to 100% of our velocity over distances past 30, 30 yards or 27 meters, it's not a ton. It's not a ton. Um, it's, and it's shocking to people because they're like, well, like that wasn't that hard of a session. And it goes back to what we talked about the first call is like, we are doing more sessions in a week than we would if we were, to, if we were running full speed, if we we're running full speed every session. I mean, and, and it's completely different if I have a track athlete or I have an athlete with a different constraint. Our rugby athletes, to be, to be fair, run a lot further. Our seven, our rugby well, It's seven. a different sport, though, Complete. right? I mean, I mean, I, I, should, I mean, it's a, they need to. Yeah, rugby and because, soccer. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, of course, of course, especially rugby because yeah. they're constantly running. So um, in, in the podcast that I just posted before you and I got on here uh, with Stu, he, we talks about uh, hormetic um, training, right? You know, Stu, right? He's got all these, this, that's why I love talking to him. It's great. Mm -hmm. But that's what, uh, but that's where it's, you know, the idea that there's more broken up, higher quality, more broken up, more often. That's the whole Bonner truck thing, right? I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's, 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 you know, uh, in throwing, you can do 200 throws a week three times 65 or whatever, 195, or you can do 10 times 20. Well, which one do you think you're, you're, you're going to get more quality throws out of? Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, same thing. So, okay. So that's, so is there anything else you want to add about your speed program going through, you know, through that phase? And yeah, I mean, one thing that I had to learn as a coach was that what I was doing wasn't the only thing that they're doing. So, for example, when I had rugby players, I was like, okay, here's a volume of high-speed running that I wanted. But I wasn't taking into account what they were already doing in practice. Yeah, I, that's, I'm, yeah I, I should slap myself for not asking this. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it's all good. So what I, what I started to do is look at, okay, what are, their, what are their practice demands, game demands, things like that? Do they need more? Like for, an, for a vaccine, meaning like, should they be getting this amount per week? And I talked to Dan Path about this. Like, it's like reaching that vaccine level, like how much running is required for that athlete, for that sport, for that position. And then let's try to fill that bucket. But also looking at what do they actually really need to develop? Because let's say they run 10 meters per second, but their issue is that they can't reach 10 meters per second in under four seconds. So my goal isn't necessarily to make them run 11 meters per second unless that means they can run a faster speed sooner. It's to back up that, that max velocity. Right. So my goal is how do you get to max velocity? I want to know how do you get to your velocity? That's more important than not always more important, but in this case, it's more important. than. Well, it is if you're being tested that yeah. way. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I mean, I mean, that's not what you would do with a with, and this is an important point to make. I think right here, is that that's not what you would do with a world class sprinter or any sprinter necessarily. Yeah. But that's a different ball game. They they're they're not constrained really by where their top speed is. Although I'm sure Stu is going to give me shit for saying that, but on on some level, but yeah. um, but you your world in your world. Uh, and your world is not really about the game 
in, in some ways. It's about the test, right? Like, you know, because they can't get into the world, the real world, without the test. And the test is you've got to have that before 40, right? 100%. So, yeah, if, for most for most positions, and, and, and again, it, it depends on the demands, and sometimes outside receivers need to have a different, uh, you know, different curve. Maybe they do need to reach a higher speed later on. But for, for a lot of the positions in football and even some of the soccer and, and rugby, um, it's more about their acceleration and getting to their velocities efficiently um, and being able to repeat that same skill over and over and over again to the point that it becomes automatic. So when we look at building acceleration, we're looking at, number one, looking at motor learning, making that skill autonomous. The number two, we're developing the power ability to be able to reproduce that power over and over again and is it high enough to produce an effective acceleration and if we do those things then we're going to have a solid athlete like i have a receiver right now um he's been taught all pro all that but he got hurt then he took the next year he you know took some time away and took a break and he's getting older and he's like ah oh, you know you can't get older when you're faster and i I brought up one game. We watched the game and we counted all the acceleration. Can't get older when you're. You mean you can't get faster when you're older? Right, right, right. So that was his okay. mindset. Like guys are telling him you can't get faster when you get older. Right. So I was like, well, is it isn't always about getting faster? And we watched the game and we watched how many accelerations he did in a game. I'm like, imagine if you said you can't get better at catching when you get older. So you're not going to work on it. It's like, that's a skill you need to be a successful receiver, right? Like, yeah. Well, in this game, you did 60-something accelerations to a pretty decent velocity off your left foot and your right foot. How many times do you actually practice that specific skill? He's like, well, I don't, because then if I practice, I think about it. I'm like, yeah, you think about it now, but the point is, is to pass that cognitive stage into the associative phase first so now i'm thinking about i know what's wrong i know what's good and then i pass that stage to the autonomous phase so i need to make a skill that i'm average at i need to actually take the time to really overthink it and then push myself back to the phase where i'm thinking about it less but i'm aware of what's wrong into the next stage where i don't think about it again but it's at a different level of performance yeah it's actualized yeah actualized so and that's both from a power speed perspective as well as uh, cognitive perspective. Um, I know that was long-winded, but I think it's really important because a lot of coaches, they do things like um, they just do a lot of fly runs. We're getting a higher velocity or they, um, you know, their, their acceleration stuff isn't maximal because they're like, well, we're running at a, you know, we're going to do, we're going to do more tempo-based stuff. Like, no, you have to accelerate maximally to understand that skill and to make it autonomous. And you can do a lot more accelerations maximally than you can do at max velocity. And this is a conversation I had with Stu. When I saw how many accelerations his guys were doing in training, I ripped up like half of my old training things. And because I was so conservative with acceleration, not realizing they can do a higher volume of accelerations. Right, right. Well, conservative is good. But yeah, you're right. But there, you, 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 you know, but what, what I admire about you and the way that you think is you went from conservative to more liberal, whereas 
a lot of people, which is a way better mistake than going from way more liberal and have to dial it back to more conservative. Yeah. yeah. Right? And I, I should probably clarify because I am still very conservative mm -hmm. on certain things in terms of jump volumes, velocity volumes. But one, one thing that I, I can say is like this year, we're, we finished our week two with our pros. And everything I say about the pros applies to the lower levels because we're all humans. They're doing what, what's hard for them is going to be hard at the lower level. And what they're doing is not very complex. Like it's just different intensities and different mm -hmm. resistances and things like that. But well, and, and, in, and in training experience in a lot of cases, pros, yeah. especially when you're talking strength, sometimes depending on the athlete, I mean, they, they, they can, they can have the training experience of a 15 year old. Yeah. hundred percent. So yeah. we, we finished week two and we increased our acceleration volume by, our 50% from last year or more, probably more. They feel better at this point. Like we're tracking their sleep, we're tracking their CMJs, we're tracking their, we're tracking everything. All their numbers are extreme, way higher than they were at this point last year. Because last year I was very, very, very conservative and I was building slow, building slow, building slow. So they never really had that stress to create an adaptation. Mm -hmm. But with this group, they're already starting to adapt to the volume and they're starting to feel better at this point. Whereas my group last year was feeling worse at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like what you and I talked about the first time in our first two hour frenzied back and forth was, uh, you know, you have to find that that's what Bonner truck system is all about because we don't wave load things and whether that's right or wrong, or is it, it's irrelevant here, but well, it's not irrelevant, but, it, you have to find that sweet spot and load, right? It's not just, oh, I wasn't doing enough like this, you know. I, it's you have to find that right amount right. that is uh, that is going to give you the optimal adaptation. Uh, yeah, just the optimal adaptation without all the, you know, without uh, all the negatives that can. Yep that can come with it or like injury yeah. or whatever. So and last year I wanted, I wanted guys to get better every session. That's not how it works. No, no. But I designed it last year to make it so that every session they had, they got better yeah. and they did in a way, but at what cost yeah. Whereas this yeah. year? Well, it's a, again, it's a better mistake though. Then it's a better mistake than going too hard and crushing them. Right. Like, I mean, but yeah, I totally get what you're saying. You weren't, you weren't challenging them enough and they had, you know, and they, they had nowhere to go, but up. Right. Yeah. yeah. I had 20 sessions last year. I have 29 this year. Okay. So, and do you think, do you think you're at the sweet spot or is it too early to tell? I think I am. I, okay. I know I am because we're tracking certain variables that are showing us like they're actually feeling better it, their performance like like this past this yesterday no friday they declined a little bit i was like okay that's good that's good um because now like they're they're starting to get stressed a little bit more um but i'm not overly concerned as well because i know they'll bounce back for monday but i think it is a sweet spot because our volume and this is what we talked about in the last two hour session is their volume of high speed running didn't change at all. Didn't change at all. So what changed 
Well, we added more accelerations into the warm up. We added more accelerations, um, resisted. We took out drills that didn't have a high transfer to where what our actual goal was. So all the fluff drills that I had in there that may or may not have helped some athletes. Like what I did is I I always coached to the lowest level, which was I still do in a way. But I would have all these progressions. But my high level athletes would look at it and be like, I don't need that. And they would, I would lose, I would lose a little bit each time I trained them because they were going through all the progressions that the lowest level guy needed. And by the time they got to sprinting, they were cooked. So what I did is I flipped that model and I said, where everyone's doing the highest level model. And if they need um, a a few special exercises or or things I can add in, then I I add that into their program specifically. Mm -hmm. So what happened is my, my volumes per session went like this. They, they drop, um, but we have more. We have more frequent sessions. So last yeah. year it was Monday, Thursday, speed, maybe Saturday. This year it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. I am super, super interested in how that plays out yeah. because since I've done the Bonnetrek course, and uh, you know, in in the last six, seven years. I haven't coached a sprint, even longer than that. I haven't coached a real sprinter. I haven't had a, uh, a sprinter that I've cause I'm a sprint coach as well, or I was, I haven't had a sprinter that I've been able to do the bonder truck system the way I want to do it with, which would be the way that you're the way that you set it. I wouldn't say you're, you know, I'm not going to say you're doing bonder truck, but the way you set that up, the way you think is exactly the way I would do it. Uh, along those lines and so I'm super interested in 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 staying in touch so that you let me know how that goes because I think that's uh that's really interesting because you know I think you could be on the verge of blowing some minds here with uh in terms of frequency and density you know um there's a video in the course where I talk about and you and I talked about this right uh last time where where we there's a video in the course I do where I talk about the traditional three sprinting three times a week, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And I, I say, look, you know, that's on a, on a traditional seven day micro. And I get it. You need sprinting is not like heavy throwing. You can't do it 10 times a week. Right. So, and I, and I totally get that, but I'm also not just going to accept the traditional model outright just because everybody's done it that way of three times a week right yeah so where do you find that balance and so i for me i i i i go through this video where i say okay look here's three times a week let's look at it over two weeks over over two micros two seven day micros you have if you sprint three times a week let's just call it a sprint session whatever it is right whatever is in that sprint session, three times a week. That's six sessions over two weeks on on two back-to-back seven-day micros that are the same. But what if you don't use a seven-day micro? What if you use a four-day micro? Yeah. And if you do that, I think it's a four-day, it might be a five, I, I can't remember which one I use. I think it's a four-day micro. If you do that and I over, I compare the two in terms, I line them up. If you do that, then you get seven, sprint sessions over two weeks not six and that doesn't sound like a lot right it's it's like what what is it it's one extra sprint session every two weeks right 
Yeah. Well, then I say, well, okay, that may not sound like a lot, but if you buy into this idea that the more what we're talking about, the more the athlete is exposed to high quality workloads, the the faster they improve and the better they get, right? If, if you buy into that idea and you and we know, we know that on average it takes somewhere between eight to 12 years of high performance training, quote unquote, specialized training for an athlete to reach their career peak if they're if all has gone well. So we call that 10 years, right? It's basically it's generally accepted it's a 10-year window. Some longer, some shorter, and whatever, but generally it's 10 years. Well, if you get one extra session every two weeks, in 10 years space, it, I, and I did the math, I worked it all out, it's like getting two extra years of specific work. Yeah. Sorry, I got to drive home. 100%. And that's, so, and that's just one every two weeks. Yeah, exactly. And that's the conversation I had with Stu and Dan after we talked. And I was like, okay, eight weeks, 10 weeks maybe we have. For these guys like how do i how do i do this whole you know the bonder check theory and bonder check system so what it ends up being is it's different programs because you can't do speed at the frequency that you could do acceleration but for my guys if we're talking about accelerating 25 yards to hit a peak velocity and there's only 15 or to 20 yards that we're running well probably 15 yards or less we're running at our velocity, our programming is actually reflecting a higher emphasis on acceleration. So we can repeat acceleration more often in higher volumes than we can speed. So when we're looking at um, training, you know, for our guys, we're looking at, we can accelerate four days out the week, whereas before we we're accelerating two days out the week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and that little change right there, number one has helped me from, a coaching perspective because when I had my two sessions per week, I had to over coach to fill in the gap because they weren't getting the reps. So what I had to do is I had to develop hours and hours and hours of practice of coaching content. So by the time I got to them, I was like, I need you to do these seven different skills in, in one session. And guys had paralysis by analysis. Now what I do is that's a great point. Every day I pick, one or two cues they can use in a session and that my staff can only say one or two things to each athlete and we write it on a piece of paper so what happens is as the guys are going through the warm-up we talk how did that rep feel uh this that that okay and i say all right when we when we get to the last two warm-up reps i'm only going to give you two cues so the first one i'm going to give you a cue and the second one i'm going to give you a cue and from that point forward, after that, I'm not talking to you other than how did that feel? Is your body okay? Let's, let's analyze what we felt during that. And we're taking notes. So we're actually just getting information, getting information, getting information. So they go, they go through the reps. Like I think we accelerated a total of 30 times on, on Friday. And we gave them our, their two cues and let them explore for the next 28 reps. And 28 reps meaning they did resisted reps, unresisted reps, all that boom, boom, boom. So Dude, I think, you are, you are, you are, you're just, <laughs> you're just fucking wise beyond your years, dude. It took it me up. forever to figure that out. I, I didn't figure that out till I was well into my 40s. Oh man, I, it's hard because it's like 
if you were to watch my session, you didn't know me, you'd think I wasn't a good coach because I'm not, I'm not talking a lot. I'm not talking, I'm writing notes, I'm taking feedback. So at, at the end of the session, we, we had this library of things that they told us. And then we go in at night and we show them video and like, oh, okay. So then the next time we come back to it, it was actually the next day. They come back the next day and they get another chance to work on it, two cues. So what we're doing is like, if you look at coaching, like our coaching process is both from a cognitive level and from a physical level like power development and all that. But we're taking, um, we're taking the art, like the sexiness of coaching kind of out of it. And it's, yeah. it's unfortunate because most coaches will come by and they're like, Oh, you're not coaching them enough. And we're like, well, at night we go through our cues. We, we do video, we, but we have so we have such frequency of sessions that, they don't have to wait another six days to work on the yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the other. That's the other beauty. That's the other thing I like about working the Bonner truck system. I mean, you know, you throw in the morning and shit. Three hours later, you you get another chance. Yeah. They love it, right? The athletes love it. Like they, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's 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 funny you say that because, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yesterday I drove out to uh, Iowa to see an athlete that I that I'm going to be coaching a hammer thrower. And, uh, it's the first time I'd met her and we, we did a, we did a throwing session. I said to her, I said, uh, you know, I'd been on the road for four hours and drinking coffee. I was like, ah, and I said to her at the beginning, I said, look, you know, you and I have to sort, let's, we're just going to have fun, talk mechanics. I said, and I'm going to blah, blah, blah. I'm going to, we're going to talk about a lot of things. Right. I said, but understand something. That's not how I coach. Like if you, if we end up working together, I say very little in workouts. I will, we will have a discussion at the beginning of what we're trying to achieve. I will use the simplest, fewest word cues that I can come up with to get you doing it. And I keep my mouth shut as much as possible. And that is, a, even today, that's so hard for me to do. But it, it has to be that way. Yeah, because Stu told me, he said, my goal is to say nothing and I fail every time. Yeah, that's, 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 <laughs> that changed, that's whole, changed everything. So, like, we're two and we're two weeks in. We're fourteen days into our training session. And if I were to bring any of my guys on, they only know two words, two cues right now. Yeah, well, two like main cues. One is projection, one is retraction. Now, under projection, if I were just, I actually had them do this on Zoom last night. I said, write the word projection, then write every single thing that projection encapsulates like all the things that I, you've heard me say or you've thought about and the list is like 20 things under one word then i go to retraction 20 things under one word but if they were to say they were to go on espn right now like what have you learned projection retraction hmm. that's it so they've learned how to group all the, the skills into one or yeah. two words yeah exactly exactly yeah, yeah. It, it 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 has to be that way because you can't, you know, uh, try coaching the try coaching the hammer, where where the whole where it happens so fast that you you can't they can't be thinking in these these complicated terms. I don't care who they are, they have to they have to maybe understand it, and it helps to to you know Stu and I in that first podcast had a huge discussion about this from a coaching point of view, right? You know what? He asked me the question about, you know, I, I, he said, like, I'm afraid I go, I go too deep and I, you know, um, 
you know, I'm thinking and breaking it down, thinking of too much. And I said, well, no, you, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's essential in, depending on the level you're at in coaching to understanding, having mastery of, of in, in a, in a technical mechanical sense, but it's how you control the output to the athlete. It's how you manage that. That's, that, that's the difference. If you're, if you're trying to prove to them that you know all of this, and then sometimes there is a time for that, right? Like, you know, if it's a new athlete or something, you're trying to get buy-in, okay, maybe. But, uh, but basically, no, on a day-to-day basis, it's, it's yeah. you don't say, you know, you have, it's just, yeah. yeah. Everybody it's, learns that, I think. hard, yeah. yeah. In the beginning, it was. Sooner or later. I've like, I started out and I, I had to prove to every guy. Well, number one, when I first started coaching, I was the same age or younger than the guys I was coaching. So I'm 23, 22, and I have guys training for the NFL, and they're 22, 23. So they're like, we're homies. Like, do I, should I listen to you? Yeah, why the fuck should I be listening yeah. to this guy? And same with yeah. So I had to overdo everything. Now yeah. it's like my, my goal per session is less about um, performance and more about the rhythm that the guys are doing things the vibe that they have, the environment, like I'm trying to control those factors. So like, I want them to get into rhythm, meaning that if I start talking, every time I talk, I interrupt that rhythm. Because they're in their head, they're thinking, they're doing things, they're trying things out. I don't know what they're thinking, unless I'm asking, but generally like in the first part, when they're doing their warm up accelerations, I have eight opportunities to watch them run to say one or two things. And that's how I kind of do my whole session is like every we do. And and Stu taught me this. They do drill, drill, acceleration. And they have Stu has 10 drills. I have eight. So that's eight opportunities, each one progressive. So I watch them really six times um, unless they're doing more, usually like six to seven times to say one thing. So I'm taking all this information in to be like, Hey, I want you to do this. Mm -hmm. Got it. And then they do it. And then the rest of the session is based on what I said at that point or what I said after the next rep. Mm-hmm. And each time we go through, I'm like thinking about another layer I can add. Like I just, I just gave this one guy a cue. I was like, it was hilarious, but I gave him, I gave him a cue. And, but I waited two weeks to tell him that one cue and I could not wait to tell him that cue. Whereas before <laughs> it, I would have said it right there. Yeah, yeah. Right on the spot. I wrote it down. I wrote it on my hand the day that I told him. I had it on my hand. Like, don't forget that cue. Don't forget that cue. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, listen. Can we uh, can we shift to uh, back to the youth development and or the younger athletes yeah, yeah, yeah. and and strength? Because I think that's probably a little bit different discussion or different progression than than we've talked about in speed. So where where you know what. Not even sure where to start with this, but you know, like, what are your thoughts on? And when I'm talking strength, let's 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 consider power development, plyos or med ball or any of that. You know, the more dynamic types of activity. Um, I'm I'm really talking about classic strength weight room work. Yeah. yeah. So you know, where where what does that look like? What's yeah. from throughout the progression? You don't need to. You don't need to get. You know, in terms of the ages, just just give me an idea of what it looks like. Yeah. So it's funny because like, so when I sold my gym, um, 
when I got out of the gym business, I went heavy into one category on speed. And from that point forward, I always like hired strength coaches to do the strength part. So we worked with a lot of good ones like Jay Agabao, Chad Wesley Smith, um, Scott Prohaska this year. Like, I mean, they're increasingly, increasingly like just better and better. But it's, it's scary because they're all so good. Like all of them are, are world-class and like the more and more I'm around these guys, I'm like, wow, I was probably a really bad strength coach because like well, the way that I approached it was very like, trying to how I approach speed in the beginning where I fit everyone into a box and I was like everybody needs this everybody needs this so when I was looking at youth athletes like I think I had some decent progressions like like I would go like um very 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 basic patterns like everyone needs to know how to squat hinge push press pull and all that so I would implement training from a like even at, let's say 12 or 12 to 14 gap it would just be the exercises wouldn't be the highest level, level one, it might be level eight, which is just a body weight squat or a med ball squat. But I would still prove those patterns. And that's the only thing I think I did really well is that like for every athlete, we, we taught them how to squat, you know, unilateral, bilateral, push, like basic things. Um, but when I look at how I was progressing them, I was progressing athletes, um, truthfully, like, a year in a month you know like I would, I would so what I mean by that is that I would just progress them really 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 fast and switch all the exercises and be really like I, I, there's a ton of variance in what I was doing so like, like oh you got it okay let's move to the next exercise let's because a lot of it for me was keeping them interested keeping them stimulated, right keeping yeah them yeah excited. so yeah I, I mean I feel like I should preface my answer with that that I was I think an average strength coach when it came to that, because for me, it was more about entertainment when I was doing it than, than development. So if I were to go back in that world now, it would be, I'd probably lose a ton of clients because I would make it very, 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 very basic. And if you were to go, maybe if you were to go back as your former self, but not yeah. now. Because you because you have success now, you have a proven record. You went back there. I think you'd be pretty goddamn successful, yeah. right? Because people yeah. would would uh, listen to you. Yeah. So for me, this, I mean, it's a totally very different conversation when we talk about progressions with youth in terms of speed yeah. versus strength, right? Because the trainability of those two abilities or those two qualities and Steve and Stu and I had this big semi-argument about this uh, in our last podcast which is the actual fifth one <laughs> and uh, in terms of terms but you know I, I'm speaking in general general terms here but I am really when I say strength talking about this these uh, the more classic forms of strength as people uh, you know weight room strength or whatever barbell strength or whatever uh, but those are two different conversations because of the trainability of those two abilities, right? Speed is much harder to develop right. and that's why it takes, you know, but uh, that's why it takes the uh, uh, much more thought and strength is really easy to develop. Right. It's so easy. Yes. And the younger they are, the easier it bloody well is. 
And I, my last podcast that I did without Stu, then I think it's the fourth one, the one that came out just before the one I, I released today, I talked a lot about that, about redefining what development coach means. If you ever have the time to listen to that, I would love your feedback on that. Yeah, I'll listen um, to today. Yeah, it's, it's an hour long, but I can tell you where to skip ahead to, to where I'm talking about. <laughs> but where, where I, I say basically, you know, look, like when we're talking about development coaches, we cannot, we cannot assess and evaluate development coaches based on results, yeah. right? That's, yeah. that's one, it has 100%. to be results because if you take results away from a coach, you might as well, it's like ripping their heart out, right? I right. mean, I mean, you know, we all want to be successful, but in development coaching, it's gotta be more than that. It, it has to be also about, how healthy are their athletes, right? right. And how, how bulletproof yeah. are they when they, when they, um, are we good? Yeah, 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 no, we're good. Oh, sorry, man, sorry. No, keep going, I just had to pick up something. But oh, okay, going. yeah. So, you know, are they, are they bulletproofed in terms of injury and do they have trainability left when they get, when they leave the, the you know, the, the end of that development timeline, let's call it, and they go to a guy, you know, the, they, they advance to a more high performance or elite level in, in, in your program, let's say, or they go on to an, you know, another high performance coach, right? It's totally different. So it really becomes about juggling, uh, getting results because you have to keep them motivated. You have to be, you know, keeping them in, in the sport and interested, but also preparing them. It has to be about preparing them rather than, um exploiting those abilities to to the fullest so in other words you don't want to specialize them you but you you know and that's a fine line right and it's actually it's actually a harder process it's a harder thing to do than what in, in some ways than what an elite coach has to do because an elite coach has I mean, the gloves are off. Every, they, every, they have yeah. everything. They, they can do whatever the hell they want to get the athlete better. It's a but, lot harder. It's a yeah, lot harder. Yeah. So in strength, you know, so what, what I did, and I'll, I'll just go through this real quick, and then I'll shut up and I'll let you talk. But <laughs> um, what, you know, I, I can't remember how I developed this. It might have come from Poliquin. I'm not sure. When I was a young coach. At least the idea came from him, I think. I did one clinic with him, and it was, oh, God, talk about entertaining. That guy was hilarious. But um, <clears throat> anyways, I was never a big polyquin guy, but in this one thing I took, um, I actually just never really studied most of his stuff, but I took this one weekend uh, clinic module uh, when, I was in, when I was a younger coach. Anyways, and... And I've modified this over the years, but basically I had like this eight year progression where, and like I said, I divide everything up into two years. So it would be 12 to 14 and before 12, it's just, you know, you're just doing whatever, as long as they're not, as long as they're not getting too serious and they're playing lots of sports and games and all that, that's great. You can do some basic general strength, great. But 12 to 14, 14 to 16, 16 to 18 and 18 to 20. And in the first one, it was mainly, you know, it's getting a little formal, but there's no real barbell, uh, let's call it barbell strength, okay? So they're not doing any formal weight room work, but they are doing a lot of stuff like you described, um, <clears throat> you know, different jumping exercises, med ball, you know, they're doing all that, that type of stuff. It's getting a little more formal. 
in terms of what they were doing prior to 12 years old. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then from 12 to 14, I actually stayed right away from any bilateral lifts at all. Yeah. And I did, I did everything. And not that we wouldn't do anything bilateral. We would do bilateral jumps and, bi, you know, I mean, but in terms of actual weight room exercises, excuse me, we would stick to the unilateral and contralateral patterns as a rule. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, just because I really felt, you know, I really wanted to develop the, the stabilizing musculature and the coordination and all of that. Then, oh, and we would keep the loads to 20 to 40% body weight. That's, we would just, that's generally speaking the, the, the range we would be in. And I would, I would let them, you know, keep the reps sane, you know, six to eight or something like that. Um, <clears throat> usually around six, probably. And then from 14 to 16, it was, we would add bilateral patterns, not exclusively, but we would add it to, we would bring those in real actual squatting with a barbell. We would up the, we would up the, the loading to 40 to 60% body weight. Okay. And that was generally it. Right. And then, uh, and then what was that? 14 to 16 and then 16 to 18. Then I would start to add working off of one RM percentages. We wouldn't do one RM percent, you know, lifting, but I would start to work off percentages. So I would, rather than use body weight, I would use um, something more, you know, I would use, and, and I would figure all this out using extrapolations. Whereas that was back in the day before, uh, before uh, bar velocity tools. Now that I have that, I probably would use that. And we would just start to tap into that max strength area there. I'm not sure if I would do that now i'm not sure if i would do that now i i i don't know if I, if that's necessary and then from 18 to 20 it would be like okay then now we're getting them ready that two-year period we're getting them ready for if they were let's use a, a football player you know they're going to walk into a football situation in the ncaa where they're going to have to be you know they're they're stepping up right so we would be preparing them for that so the the intensities would get higher is basically yeah. what i'm saying so and whether it was right or wrong, it worked. Like yeah. it worked really well. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Kind of went, went to in the beginning, like really organize as a coach when it comes to speed and all that. And what I what I realized is like a lot of this stuff that like there's somebody that's really organized the way I was with speed with strength, and I ended up developing a friendship with them. And then same with the rehab people. So like. A lot of the development stuff for, for strength I've kind of um, referred out to and then worked in unison with them. Um, so I don't know how much help I can be on that side. But <laughs> When you say referred out to then, like when, when you say referred out, these are people that are working under you or these are other consultants that these athletes are, are working with? Yeah, so for example, our um, NFL group trains with me on speed. And then they have a position coach for position coach and they have a strength coach. Each person is its own entity, but we mm -hmm. all are aligned. Like, I just got a text right now. Like we meet up on Sunday and we talk through, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm seeing. Then we align our programs together. So it, um, it, for me, it's worked better this way than trying mm -hmm. to do everything. Right. Myself. 
Well, yeah, you're, I mean, you're so deep into it and you have so many athletes. I know it's difficult. And, and I had a, you know, I, I, I had a, man, I had a really well-oiled machine because I had 45 athletes at my peak, all development, all, well, I had, and a handful of the top four or five were burgeoning high performance or actually in high performance at, at one point. So, I mean, I was, it was crazy. But I was actually quite well organized, and I had a lot of uh, a lot of structure to it. I had to, otherwise I go nuts, right? Yeah. But um, but in terms, of, but yeah, but in terms of your okay, so just give me an idea. What are your thoughts generally? Do they fall in line with the progression that I uh, that I described there? Yeah, hundred percent. So like, for athletes through that age group, yeah, hundred percent. So like for me, like I identify like what are the key skills, what are the key movements and then work towards the final let's say the final was like a barbell back squat there might be seven or eight levels to get there and we actually developed this for um for rugby at one point because we had the national team then we had a development team then we had the youth development team then we had the youth so like we developed like eight level systems per skill so a skill could be like a the end of it could be a bench press the beginning could be like a push up hold push up yeah, yeah. so it's yeah. like where do we where do we progress then um in the windows that we progress them we're pretty similar we just read a lot of the canadian long-term development athlete stuff to be honest yeah the adopted yeah. but that was one of the better things i wrote that for track and field in canada i was part of a yeah i was part of a uh so so i were okay so back to this okay so this this is very critical of Ishvan Bali and the whole um, um, the whole uh, peak height velocity uh, yeah, part of it. Yeah. They're they're not critical critical of LT LTAD per se, just the peak height velocity, which I never bought into myself. Not because I didn't think it worked, but because I just had too much to do. There's no goddamn way I was going to be able to measure kids' heights and plan around that. I I, I had to have. I, I, I did what you said earlier. It's like, boom, if you're, if you're in this age, this is what you're doing. And that, you know, it was less, I mean, the individualization was more around exercise selection for the athlete here and there and skill development. But in terms of loading, everybody sort of stayed in the, in whatever range they were, but that article is quite, quite critical of him. And I worked with Ishvan a lot. I knew him, I knew him quite well at one point. And I was part of a four or five coach team that wrote the LTAD model for track and field with him. Like we would meet, they had a ton some, at some point athletics Canada got a shit ton of money to invest in this. And so they, they, they actually, I don't think they paid us to do it, but they used the money to haul us around and we were flying all over the place and meeting. And, and I, I, I'll, I'll share it with you. Cause I have yeah. it. That'd be good. And it, yeah, and it's uh, and uh, he guided it, and we all did it. I did it mainly for what I did. I did throws and I did sprints with Glenroy and Win Gimitrowski did endurance. Uh, it was a good team, man. I mean, it was it was it was pretty cool. And yeah, so we um, yeah, it's uh, uh, not sure where I was going with that. So I just. <laughs> decided I would start bragging but um so yeah I mean I you know to me to me the actual content is important but it's less important than the actual progression right, right? 
right. you know it's just you just can't jump into it and that's why i say that all the time to to coaches now let's talk about breaking let's do, i don't know how much time you got left i got five or I, six minutes oh that's it okay good yeah okay so let's end let's end on this okay we, this has been great and we can do one more we can do one more i we absolutely should and uh um how do you break the rules on that because there there are times to break the rules so let so let so let me give you a, a scenario you're you're in your position yeah okay and you're working with a kid an athlete and they're in high school let's say they're i don't know 16 17 you know um it's obvious to you that this kid does not have nfl talent okay not going to make it to the nfl just doesn't have you know but it's not bad is good okay but the athlete does have a level of talent that they would, you know, with the right work, with the right guidance, they could get a scholarship to a, to a Div 1 school, a Div 1 program, or whatever. it doesn't matter which division it is. Let's say that they could get a scholarship in it. I don't know how the divisions work necessarily in terms of scholarships, but this scholarship would be, would change this kid's life. Let's say the kid is, you know, from disadvantaged background. Okay, can't afford to go to college. Um, if they don't get, if they don't get a scholarship, this kid's working at a gas station the rest of his life. Okay. Yeah, but I, I think that's that's the part. That's every scenario. So, like for example, how I do draft training is redlining the abilities that they have, and it's very risky. And I wouldn't do that if there was no draft. I would never do that. And it's the same for high school guys going to camps, combines, things like that. So we're we're inter we're safely introduced. Like, okay, this is where it's hard. So I have to find some metric that tells me when are we overreaching and when is it dangerous. So if, for example, if this metric starts to go this way down, I know that I'm starting to get into the danger zone because whatever we're what you're describing is risky. Because, Can you give me an example? Yeah. So, for example, like um, we this year we're using a ten five test, which is a it's ten repeat pogo jumps, and it tells us um, their top five, and those top five are the top five peaks of um, height and air time and ground contact time. So, like, there's essentially their stiffness. So, when their stiffness is down, we know that we probably did a session too soon or we did too much the previous session, or they didn't recover. And then we look at their sleep, we look at their mood, whatever. So when, I, when we're doing draft training, same as when we're doing high school combine training, it's a risk because we're exposing them to velocities quicker than we normally would. And then we're exposing them to volumes that are greater than what we would normally do. Plus we're introducing max strength into the picture, plus high velocity, barbell squats whatever wow. like wow. so there's, yeah, there's so, a lot of there's a ton yeah. of variables they're getting a lot coming at them a lot in a short then, period of time. yeah exactly but then they're also doing position work and they're also doing like it's just so many things so mm -hmm. um with that risk we have to find a way to manage that risk and we have to find a way to assess mm -hmm. what the actual risk level is going into every single session whereas when, uh, when I that's a lot of management yeah, it is, and it's not good. I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, 
I'm not criticizing it. I think I think I I tip my hat to you for actually for actually thinking about it first of all, but to actually do that is is speaks volumes about where you're at. I appreciate it. I'm just OCD and I have a higher anxiety level when it comes to this stuff than normal. Mm-hmm. So, like when it comes Welcome to, to the club. Yeah, like I just like I want to make sure. Well, number one, I want to make sure when I do it again next year, I look at it after I'm done and say, oh, this is where I messed up. That's my hope for everything is like, yeah. I look at it like this is what can improve. Yes. But in, in the moment, I'm looking at, okay, like, I don't know if the 10-5 test is consistent or if it's going to tell me everything I need to know. Um, but as of right now, it works pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, and sometimes that's all you get, right? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, and, and you, 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 yeah, exactly. No, I totally get that. What I would do in that case, or at least now I come from it a little bit or what I used to do, let's put yeah. this in. This is what I would do now uh, from someone who typically speaking in the environment I was in, I would, if I had the athlete over that period of time, right, I got them at 14 and I knew, and I was, you know, and along the way, and I, you know, I mean, you know, pretty quick, whether an athlete's going to be an Olympic medalist potential or not. First of all, there's very few of them. Second of all, you just know, right. You know, and if I had an athlete in that situation, I I described to me or, or, or here's another example. They come to you. You don't get them at 14. You get them at 17 and you got to get them ready. My answer to each of those is the same. I would shorten the progression. Yeah, that's that's my first response is to so it, when my original like that strength progression was eight years, I might shift that to four years, right? Or however long I had, whatever the, I would divide whatever period of time I had between when they were going to get scouted or blah 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 to when I started working with them, I would divide that into four, and I would still go through the progression. I would just modify it. Um, and shortened the phases. So the my my goal, my main rule was the cardinal rule was I I, ne- I always went through the progression. Yeah. Yeah. I just I just had to sh- you had to shorten it right yeah. and and mm-hmm. you know um, and and do it that way and yeah. um, and then in that final phase I would probably do hopefully if uh, well I wouldn't have back then because I wouldn't have been smart enough but now talking to you, I would start to implement some of those, what, what you were just talking about, having yeah. those, those yeah. measures, those bench lines. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I guess it's the same thing. Like we do like two week phases in draft training four two weeks, two, four, two weeks phases, same in high school combine training or all that. Like those four weeks, those two week periods would typically be much longer, two months. If I had them, like if I have them yeah. for a year, yeah. Mm-hmm. so it, yeah it actually is like that so but yeah no that's that's i really uh am impressed and admire and i uh, i am impressed and i admire what you're doing because you are in a difficult situation i mean you know you have outside influences in terms of inputs to your athletes you have this i mean well at least in the combine thing you you know you have to you have to prepare them for this ridiculous test that really is in many ways meaningless to them becoming it, it's it, the hardest part about it is preparing them for something i don't believe in 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I would struggle with that big time. I yeah. would struggle with that. Yeah, yeah, for Day sure. Battle. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, dude, I think uh, I might be in love with you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure. No, I, I, I <laughs> no, I, you, you are doing a great job, man. I mean, and you and I need to talk more and whether we record it or not. I mean, I would love to come out there Definitely. and watch you collect these measurables. I really I mean, we didn't even, let's try to talk about that when we talk about when we do the, the one for your podcast or however we're going to distribute this. Yeah. Um, because I have just a kajillion questions for you on that. You, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you seem to have cracked that code very, very well. So I, anyways, I don't think so. I don't, I haven't cracked. I don't want to give you too much. You know, you cracked it better than most people. All I've friend. done is just track. What I do is I just track thing, but I just do it very consistently. So then I can look back and I usually don't know what I'm doing ahead of time. And then I look back and I'm like, look at that. That's interesting. And, and yeah, like, uh, we've been doing it. All yeah, year. but less. A lot of people don't do that, man. Coaches, anyways. I mean, statisticians might, but coaches don't. You know, right. I, I, I say to, and I was going to mention this uh, twenty minutes ago when we were chatting about. I forget what it was about, but I mean, it's uh, you know, you have to think like an economist. Yeah. To, yeah. To be a good coach, you have to think. You have to be able to say, okay, well, you know, what is the most efficient path to get to where I, I need to go yeah, and how am I going to yeah. do that? So that's exactly, wow. I'm stealing that. <laughs> Listen, I should let you go, dude. Go hey. and take care of that beautiful girl of yours. Okay. Thank you. Both man. of them. Both of yeah. them. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon. I'll send you this audio. Right on. Please do. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. All right, brother. Take care. Bye.